0: Jimmy Dean's no. Presents the yearbook. I'm the the University of Alabama has a perfect circle for a logo already. It doesn't need a redesign. It's already a perfect circle. They've got the script A inside of a circle. And I think offhand, see, people are bad eyewitnesses. It's like when people ask you to ask you to tell them what's what exactly, which way is Lincoln facing, and what's the date, or where's all the markings on a penny. You look at pennies all the time. And you get it all wrong. You're completely wrong about what a penny looks like, even though you've seen them ha- untold times in your life. People are terrible eyewitnesses. But I think the Alabama circle logo says Alabama Crimson Tide, and then the script A is in the middle of it. They already have a circle logo that doesn't need a redesign. The '80s came back a long time ago, and those two are connected. What was it? Where we leave off? I'm I'm your host Doug. Says in the yearbook at Hotmail.com to contact us, and subscribe, and. Figure out where the term subscribe came from. Uh, The University of Alabama has a perfect circle for a logo. Okay, in the 80s, what you did is your logo was in a circle or you had a flag for a logo or something like that, and you slapped the logo on the left side of your basketball shorts and you slapped the logo on the right side of your basketball shorts and you were ready to go out and play ball in the 80s. That was the way it was in the 80s. So Alabama already has the circular logo. How come... They never put it on the left side of the shorts, on the right side of the shorts, and go out and dominate college basketball 80s style. It looked really cool. Baseball season opened with the Houston Astros playing in hostile stadiums in front of hostile fans for the first time since their sign stealing scandal broke two years ago. And rightfully so, opposing fans should come down hard on the Astros with trash can banging, booze, etc. etc. The Astros. Should be haunted by this. And Oakland Athletics fans found themselves the very first ones to get a crack at the Astros in the regular season. And this is not an indictment of Athletics fans. They were just, they just found themselves blessed to be the first ones on the Astros schedule. But this is not singling out Athletics fans. So Athletics fans did boo big time when they played the Astros and banged trash cans. But as far as we know, the Athletics fans did not boo the three players the Athletics currently employ who were on the Astros teams that cheated. I'm making the rounds now is a picture of a Yankee fan from spring training last year with a fan wearing a shirt in Astros colors with the Astros logo, but instead of Astros, the logo says, Cheaters. <laughs> The shirt doesn't mention that the Yankees at the time had just finished spending a fortune to sign star pitcher Garrett Cole away from the 2018 Astros team that cheated. The most fun team in America, according to everyone, the Padres. They have a pitcher who is on the 2017 Astros. The Diamondbacks have two pitchers who are on both those Astros teams. The Pirates are employing two players who were on the 2017 Astros. And there are a lot more guys from those Houston teams playing around the league. The Astros were wrong and deserved the scorn, although I don't agree that sign stealing and trash can banging alone stole every game and the World Series. But the Astros' uniforms were not the ones allegedly cheating. The players and coaches wearing the Astros' uniforms were allegedly cheating. And for all the scorn and backlash... Other teams have had no problem signing 2017 and 2018 Astros players for their own benefit. And other teams' fans have had no problem cheering for their very own former Astros while simultaneously booing the current Astros. I have no idea on those Astros teams who knew what, but are the former Astros currently playing on the Mariners, the Cubs, the White Sox, Blue Jays, Mets... Nobody saw nothing. My only point here is the hypocrisy of all the highbrow pearl clutching, all the moralizing, all the anger and piling on about the Astros, while conveniently forgiving and forgetting when it comes to helping your team win. Baylor, men's basketball's last couple of wins, have rightfully started a debate about is this the greatest rebuilding job in college basketball history? And it might be. Every year brings comments about, can you believe it? And this is the greatest I've ever seen, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I'll be honest, I'm weak on college basketball history when you go back a ton of decades, so I could easily be forgetting or just not know about a better rebuild. But this could be the greatest. Back in 2003, a Baylor basketball player was murdered by his own teammate. Now, despite college sports' already terrible reputation, the Baylor murder— was shocking because a member of a team shot and killed another member of his own team. Dave Bliss, the Baylor coach at the time, then, and this is apparently unrelated to the murder, but at the time he tried to paint the murder victim as a drug dealer in order to cover up NCAA rules violations involving illegal tuition payments. And all this was at a famous church-affiliated university, And all this at a basketball also ran that had made the NCAA Tournament once in 53 years. This all brought about Baylor hiring Coach Scott Drew in 2003, but where do you even start when Square One is a program that had a teammate kill a teammate? On top of that is, like we mentioned last week, college basketball's pecking order. Baylor is not a basketball household name, that usually means The Bears could recruit good players, but not the best players. And Baylor could win games, but not too many games. To tell you how hard it is to break out of the pecking order, for all their money and sports might, the University of Florida hit a lot of static before they finally broke through into basketball elite status and won a couple of championships. Uh, And for as powerful as the aforementioned University of Alabama is, The Crimson Tide has been a serious basketball factor just once. They were in the Elite Eight in 2004. At Baylor, it took 18 years, tellingly, and I have no idea how the coaches worked out of the shadow of a murder but Baylor wound up in the end with an incredible team. This year, the Bears were super fast. They were actually excellent at shooting threes, not just really good. They shot sabermetrically frowned upon mid-range shots. They played defense. Uh, they rebounded, and they disrupted passes and dribbles. That definitely don't say... It's all wingspan or athletic ability. The Bears really, really worked, and you could tell. They they beat Gonzaga with a tremendous rebounding performance from their third-string center when the first two guys got in dire foul trouble. Uh, one Baylor player made an amazing, acrobatic, somersaulting dive to the floor to tie up a loose ball. Yeah, definitely an athletic move, but also serious hustle and the hard work to learn how to do that without fouling. After an 18-year rebuild, Baylor could not have put together a better team. Now, Baylor does have money. Scott Drew said as much when he was introduced as head coach, and money goes a long, long way in college sports. So there is room for debate about great rebuilding jobs if a smaller school were able to come from the depths. Uh, If the former Texas Pan American, now called Texas Rio Grande Valley, UTRGV, they're a really, really, really low-profile school, just 20 minutes from the border with Mexico, they've never made the NCAAs. If they were to finally make it, that would be huge. I cannot imagine the -the behind-the-scenes budgetary struggles UTRGV basketball has had to deal with. Chicago State, is another small school that's never made the NCAAs. The Cougars have one of the smallest budgets in all of Division I of anyone, and they have to travel from Chicago to Washington, California, Utah, Texas, Arizona, and New Mexico. That is just for league games. Uh, Ironically, the team Baylor beat to begin this tournament. Hartford, they also have a rebuild story. Uh, Literally, from their beginning in Division I, it proved Very difficult to win at Hartford, and the Hawks suffered from fan apathy and being completely blotted out in their own backyard by UConn. But Hartford, surprisingly, made the NCAAs for the first time this season in their coach John Gallagher's 11th year, an 11-year rebuilding plan. It showed extraordinary patience to stick with someone who hadn't been great and in year seven won only nine games. Uh, Back to the championship. This was a really, 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 really good Gonzaga team. And Baylor was clearly the only team in the country that could have beaten them. Uh, The Zags slash Bulldogs were said to be a fun team that genuinely liked each other. And they looked like a team that likes each other and talks. Because only a team that communicates could have a player chase a hopeless ball out of bounds and throw a behind-the-back, no-look pass back inbounds to a waiting, running teammate like they did in the championship game. Now, common sense, said Gonzaga, having blown out every team they faced, needed to be challenged to see what that would look like. And UCLA challenged them in the semifinals But Gonzaga did not wilt. Uh, The Zags rallied from deficits. They hit huge shots. They took a do-or-die charge with everything to lose, and they finished. They won the game. Uh, The resilience and the finish were the kinds of things that really good Gonzaga teams underwhelmed at over the last bunch of years. But against UCLA, the Zags did make mistakes. At times, uh, they lapsed, and they blew leads. Then against Baylor, well never coming totally unglued and never really conceding and going away, the Zags did make mistakes. They were sometimes too loose on defense. They lost the ball and threw passes out of bounds. They took bad fouls. They missed foul shots. Again, this Gonzaga team was clearly different. They were resilient, and there was only one other team in the entire country who could possibly rival them. But the tournament was the only part of the season that mattered for Gonzaga. And in the last two games of the tournament, the mental errors to go along with Gonzaga playing below their potential in past tournaments were a little bit troubling. Now, I know this is nitpicky. Gonzaga does not need to play perfectly all the time. They do not need to be the perfect team to win a championship. But the little inconsistencies, it's time for... Last week in Division I AA football, the Idaho State Bengals upset arch rival Idaho to A, beat Idaho, which is really important. B, finally beat a ranked opponent. Idaho State had lost to three ranked opponents already this year, and they're only playing six games. And C, eliminate Idaho from playoff contention. Now Idaho State's final game. Thanks a lot, COVID, is against a ranked opponent, Weber State. The same ranked opponent Idaho State started this season with six weeks ago when they lost to Weber by four touchdowns at home. Now they get number three, Weber State, again on the road. P.S., just in case you don't care, the Idaho State-Idaho rivalry is officially called the Battle of the Domes. And yes, both teams do play in domed stadiums.